Music to Code By is taking the developer world by storm. Now there are six extra tracks available online in addition to the original three. That's nine Pomodoros of pure productivity just waiting for you. Check them out at mtcb.pwop.com. Dotnet Rocks, episode 1217, with guests Martin Woodward and Beth Massey. Recorded Wednesday, November 4th, 2015. Hey, guess what? It's time for .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Both in the same room. Yeah, this is kind of luxurious. In Microsoft Building 16. And we're in Building 16, and it's been nicely renovated. It's one of the older buildings. Yeah. It's all asymmetrical now. That's very cool, and I I just love being here, because it's like another world. Yeah. You know? Now we are inside the bubble right now. I was thinking about that. Bellevue. Was Bellevue so big before Microsoft came around? I mean, it looks like a real big metropolitan city. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little... Apparently, housing's got expensive there, too. It's become quite a thing. It's along the water. But, you know, that... Down from where we are, up on the top of Bellevue, where the MVP summit's taking place, mm. the housing along there, that's where Bill Gates lives yeah, yeah. and a whole bunch of, you know, big Microsoft people. And, and it's weird water. when you come to the campus, Microsoft campus, it you know, it looks just so removed from city life. It's very it's, much a university yeah. look, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's fun cool. to be here. It's great to be here. Martin Woodward's here. Uh, Beth Massey's here. We're going to be talking in just a few minutes. But first, Better Know Framework. Awesome. Because you better. All right, dude, what do you got? This has nothing to do with the framework. Nothing. Framework free, better no framework today. This is something that got by me. Uh, It's actually an article from May 26th. This of this year. Okay. If that's you go to tinyurl.com slash MIDI Chrome, that's what? M-I-D-I Chrome as MIDI? in the browser. Who does MIDI anymore? Apparently Google. Google, <laughs> Google Chrome gains MIDI support, enables web-based synths and DAWs, which is digital audio workstation. Awesome. So, and there's a picture of DIN plugs. How yeah. long has it been since you looked at a five-pin DIN plug? Uh, you know, in my world, I... I do play with MIDI still. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, so it's part of your regular kit to this day. All sure. the performances you do, there's some MIDI involved. Well, for most people, MIDI, which stands for Musical Instrument Digital Interface, is the annoying sounds that used to pop up in 90s era websites. You yeah. know, those little songs. I think you wrote crappy. a few of those. Songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not going to talk about that. No, okay. I won't talk about that. <laughs> Uh, but, but this will actually enable a web developer to build like an Adobe audition okay. or a, uh, audacity and that runs in the web. So you can record multi-track audio so when you, in a freaking browser. That's really interesting. So it, this is really about handling multiple streams of data. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And yeah. being time sensitive, right? If you yeah. think about what MIDI was actually good at, it's that time signature 
multi-stream effect. Yeah, and fortunately, MIDI is de- is not dense data, right. right? As compared to digital audio, but uh, yeah. So, and I'm not exactly sure what you know digital audio workstation how that relates to uh, MIDI in the browser, but um, I, yeah, that might have been a jump on my part. But having MIDI in the browser will allow for web synths, you know, which is basically, you know, you plug in your keyboard to your with a MIDI cable to your laptop or yep. whatever, and the laptop has a a synth app that is typically a desktop app. Now it can run in a browser. I'm at websynths.com, and it's a synthesizer. Yeah. So I'm going to leave the audio off, but there you go. Okay. It's a little strange. It's a little strange. It's sort of a flash from the past, plus it's sort of showing off just how far the browser's come. Did you say a flash from the past? It is a flash from the past. <laughs> Ooh, no no I, pun intended. I cringe every time no I hear flash. that. No flash. The word flash. All right. Well, that's what I got. Well, that's cool. Who's talking to us today, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1140, the one we did with one Jay Schmelzer, when we were talking about the evolution of the .NET Core, including going open source and the foundation, which I suspect is going to come up today in our conversations. Uh, probably. Oddly enough. And uh, this comment's from David Cox, who says, I, for one, am really excited about the potential for open sourcing the .NET Core. I currently develop software designed for process and control, mm. including the HMI and controllers. The .NET environment is by far my favorite for HMI solutions. Mm. It's not the most common to use, but I found it to be viable and a rapid solution framework. We're on the cusp of an industrial revolution in the SCADA space. You heard this term SCADA? Oh yeah, that's uh, it's kind of like MIDI. It's an acronym that stands for something to do with control. Yes, supervisory control and data acquisition. And what why I know about that is I've been looking into the gas and oil field, right? Where uh, SCADA systems are prevalent and actually kind of outdated, exactly, and, and very vulnerable to security hacks. In fact, uh, famously, one pipeline in the Ukraine or in Russia somewhere in the 80s was attacked in the 80s yeah i think it was maybe it was the 90s was attacked and exploded basically they hacked in and said oh the pressure is high when it was low here and low when it was high here and reversed the pressure basically and uh, it it, it Blew exploded the apart yeah. well our, you know uh, there's a few virus type attacks going on like that mm. you know that that this this is this is current and it, it feels to me like this is scada is to edi Right, EDI was the old data exchange approach that we used for moving data around before XML and Internet really became popular. Mm-hmm. So I think SCADA is in the same vulnerable position when threatened by stuff like IoT, mm, yeah. which is just taking us to the next level. And this is exactly what David's saying. He says, we're on the cusp of an industrial revolution in the SCADA space, and it has IoT written all over it. Yep. You're starting to see more object-oriented solutions in the PLC and RTU world. I, for one, would love to see the .NET environment in a controller but I'm not sure how well that would work with RTOS, which is the real-time operating systems, mm-hmm. right? But I can't describe how painful it is to work in the .NET space and then have to switch to an archaic language mm. used to program a PLC. Yep. I'm hoping that soon the .NET environment or something similar will be available across the entire process controller space. It's funny you should pull that comment up. PLC stands for Primary Logic Controller. That's right. the way that... Uh, it's analog on the side of reading data from the sensors and then digital on the side so that you can pull data off of it. And uh, we at, at VNext have, are, are working on a solution with a manufacturer to replace all that stuff. Right. That's really, really secure. I think it's IoT a big wise. area of a race going on yep. to try to bring all that together. Yep. 
Uh, so super relevant in the stuff that we're doing these days. David, Absolutely. thank you so much for your comment. .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of the social media we posted. We put every show up on Google Plus and Facebook, and you can uh, respond there. And if we read that on the show, we'll send you a mug. And we also tweet. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Feel free to tweet. We read them all. Uh, and that brings us to our guests. Sitting right across from us, it's such a luxury, Beth Massey is a senior program manager on the Visual Studio team at Microsoft, been on the show many times. She's also a community champion for .NET developers, manages content and community activities for the engineering team, as well as customer relations and events. Before Microsoft, Beth spent 15 years building business apps for small businesses, as well as large enterprises, primarily on the .NET stack. She's a speaker of various software development events, and you can find her on a variety of developer sites, including msdn.com, Channel 9, and her blog, BethMassey.com, the B-E-T-H-M-A-S-S-I.com. Follow her on Twitter, at Beth Massey. Martin Woodward, also been on the show many times, is the executive director of the .NET Foundation, where he helps foster open development and collaboration around .NET. He is also a principal program manager on the .NET team in Microsoft. Before joining the .NET Foundation, Martin worked on the team that introduced Git into Visual Studio and was responsible for ensuring that Mac and Linux developers could be successful collaborating with Visual Studio Online and Team Foundation Server. And we also like the way he says the word boogs. <laughs> or naughty. naughty. Naughty is naughty word that always makes Americans giggle. <laughs> when I was coming in, to, I just flew in on Monday, and uh, when I was coming into Newark, um, it was great, got into Newark, always come from Newark because I prefer it to Heathrow, which says a lot yeah. about how much I hate Heathrow rather yeah. than how much I like Newark. Because a lot of people don't like Newark. Yeah, you're, you're talking about the lesser of two evils. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing good there. And uh, I was in, uh, in, in Newark, and then all the flights started getting delayed, and I was like, oh, what's going on? And somebody came over the tannoy and said, uh, sorry, it was a, bit, a delay. Um, President Obama was speaking lately, and so we've had to shut the airfield for a presidential movement. And nice. To British toilet humor, that was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a good movement. I've cleared a room before, but never an inside city. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Guy went in the bathroom, closed the whole airport. That's... <laughs> anyway. Oh, I love this show. Awesome. So what's going on with you guys? Beth, how have you been? Hey, man. It's good to see you guys. Yeah. Like, see you guys. Yeah. Like, yeah, right? Last awesome. time we did a podcast, I think it was over the phone or something. And Probably. then, oh, we've done those over the phone. We and had we had a road show. The last show, one was a 2012 road trip. That's right. It's been a while, yeah, actually. Yeah, so it would have been the San Francisco area. That's 2012. That's a, yeah. That's too long. I have Massey. seen you, though. Yes. Well, we were both at your wedding. <laughs> you were both at my wedding last year. Yeah. Thank that's, you. It's been a year. It's now. been a year. Yeah, it's been one that's year. Awesome. Yeah. Very and it's happy. a different Microsoft now. It's, yeah, it's really, actually, a lot has changed in a year in my life and at, at work. Yeah, you know, no it's been fun, actually. It's been amazing. So, yeah, um, I'm working with Martin. We're on the same team, on the .NET team. And, God, so much stuff is happening with .NET. It's amazing. I find it hard to convince people who are still stuck in the, with the mental model of the 90s Microsoft, you know, and, and all the things that went on there with, you know, Silverlight and all of this other stuff and, and, and web forms and, you know, people still are there and it's hard to sort of shake them and say, look, look at what we're doing here. You know, uh, there's, it's open source. It's, you can just go download stuff and play with it. You know, the I whole, think that is, it's true. Framework. It's like, it's well, .NET equaled windows. 
Yeah. Right. Mm. Equaled Windows. Yeah. And now it's like we're, we have to try and figure out how do we, and it did and was like that for 15 years. So right. like when just now is it cross-platform, right? Mm. And we're on the verge of this release that's going to be cross-platform. And um, how do we, how do we kind of, change people's perceptions and get other people to look at .NET that aren't on the Windows stack. That's going to be challenging. It's funny how different things are now. Oh, it's You know, when, in the early days of .NET, when it was, uh, it was all about Java, Java was one language, any platform, and .NET was any language, one platform. Mm, right. Now, Java's all these different languages, right? The JVM runtime is mm-hmm. turned in, and they run Ruby against it, and they run Clojure against it. It's like, it's gone its own crazy way. Mm-hmm. And, and .NET is now... Well, there's a few languages. I don't think as much as emphasis on, on multiple languages, but clearly going cross-platform. The biggest language, I mean, obviously uh, C-sharp is, you know, huge in VB.net, but sure. also uh, the, the F-sharp community is yeah. just doing, going great guns. And you talk about some of the, you know, the programmable logic controllers and things like that. There's teams working to actually take the F-sharp compiler and have it compile to GPUs and things because mm-hmm. F-sharp's an yeah. amazing language to be able to parallelize and, and, and put over GPUs. And so you're starting to get GPUs in, in servers and things like that as mm. well, which is quite interesting to be well, able to do specialized processing. Yeah, being able to harness GPUs in the cloud, right? Yeah. Basically, GPU as a service, which is really an interesting way to that's think about it. That's an idea. Uh-huh. I've, uh, it's a show that's in the back of my head. I have a friend who worked heavily with uh, astronomers. Yeah. And astronomers, you know, it's not people looking through telescopes anymore, no. right? It's all of this electronics involved in capturing images and doing processing on them. And so he was building out these machines with stacks of, you know, literally cramming them with, G- with NVIDIA CUDA boards. Yeah. As much GPU as you get to do the rendering. The idea that they could just harness that in the cloud is kind of astonishing. Well, that's actually how I got into programming. So I, I did my major was in physics no uh, with astronomy. Mm. And um, one of the projects we've just brought into the .NET Foundation recently um, is the Worldwide Telescope. So you mm-hmm. know about Worldwide Telescope.org? Yeah. Yes. It's, uh, you know, it's a great it's a great application. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like Google Maps, but pointing the other way. Yeah, kind of looking thing. up. <laughs> well, you haven't said that. They do have some planetary data as well. So you can you, you can go explore Mars and things with, yeah, really cool. with yeah. the real data sets. You know, I was on a conference call with because they're now going through the process of being a you know a closed source product that came from Microsoft mm-hmm. to become a proper community and involve in the astronomy community and having the astronomy community actually drive the application for sure. us. And it's used for serious actual real astronomy and proper research. And I was sitting on a phone call the other day, you know, because one of the things the .NET Foundation do is to help uh, projects and help .NET community people. Um, become better at being open. And so I kind of sit in and help, you know, with a few different projects, listen to how they're working, give them mentoring advice and things like that. If you think about it, the whole scientific process is an open source process, right? I mean, you you do an experiment, you publish your results, and you publish how you did your, your experiment so everybody yeah. else can do it and, and uh, you know, validate it and people yeah. contribute to it. And so, you know, the the it's only natural that software would go that way. Definitely, but it's very, scientists think very differently about software to, to software engineers. Like yeah. we're used to working with um, people who like programming for liking programming's sake, you know. Right. Yeah. Uh, whereas the astronomers are very, very, you know, specialized in the areas that they know to solve a particular problem. Like I'll figure out how to do GPU programming so I can massively, you know, collapse yeah. a galaxy in in real time. And if you've thing. ever read any scientists' source code, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait. It, it now just... explains my source code better. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's pretty. Uh, but the, on this yeah. call, there's like the guy saying, "Oh yeah, I'm you know, I, my name is such and such. I manage all the the space telescope data for NASA." 
wow. period. I'm like, yeah. okay. And then the other guy's like, hi, I'm such and such. I manage all the data for all the telescopes in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, these guys are actually, you know, yeah. Yeah. these are the guys that are producing the real data sets that yeah. then anyone in the world can do actual real research on because it's the actual scientific data. You know, somebody in, um, you know, an, an astronomy department doesn't have access to any special data now that you don't have access to. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at Stackify. If your app runs on Azure, or if you're considering launching in Azure soon, Stackify is the only integrated APM and error log management platform that was designed with Azure in mind. Stackify's Azure expertise can identify problems before you launch and help you know the difference between apps problems and Azure problems so you can fix issues fast. Try Stackify now for free and get the hilarious Developers Against Humanity card game. Use the link bit.ly slash netrocks. So uh, the .NET yeah. Foundation, yeah. let's just naturally go there because this is sort of where all the Microsoft projects are going. And uh, what, I- what isn't open sourced now? <laughs> in, uh, in the .NET world. Yeah. So it's first, first, first of all what the .NET Foundation is. Yeah, tell us. So it's the, it's the foundation that exists to um, have, make sure that .NET has a, an open, uh, innovative, you know, collaborative um, ecosystem around it. And be very welcoming, be very, you know, commercially friendly, be mm. a, a, an ecosystem that we think will, will succeed. Mm. The interesting thing about the .NET, .NET Foundation, especially as we've come on, is we've grown to realize it's a non-goal for every single project that's in .NET to be in the .NET Foundation because mm-hmm. that's, that's not healthy for the .NET ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Ecosystems, healthy ecosystems are diverse ecosystems. Right. And so if everything was in the .NET Foundation, then that wouldn't, that'd be You're bad. You're back to a monoculture again. Exactly. Yeah. And, that, no. and that was my next question. Is like, why do we need this? Like, yeah. Why isn't GitHub enough? Yeah. Well, GitHub provides a forge, and that's where you know, the vast majority of projects are either on GitHub or Coplex right. or in the .NET Foundation. And they provide you know, source control, work item tracking systems. Yeah, and, then, and that sends a community to make contributions, yeah, con- yeah. contributions to the work, that and, kind of thing. Yeah, and the workflows for managing those contributions yeah. and doing pull mm-hmm. requests and things. But then... Um, as a, so the foundation provides a bunch of services. Um, you know, we, like, what does a .NET ecosystem need? Well, we need the place you go to, to register all your .NET libraries and get them into Visual Studio. So NuGet.org, you know, right. so that's mm-hmm. in the .NET foundation. And there's these central core services that we need to provide for the community. So let's, let's be part of those. Let's do them. And then we need to, um, as there are projects developing, one of the problems, you know, coming from the, the ecosystem we were in back in the nineties and, you know, a lot of the developers from Microsoft or, or who have naturally gravitated to Microsoft technologies mm. are less familiar with open source than people in, say, the Java world or mm-hmm. people in, you know, different worlds. And so we've got a job to do to try and help educate our community about open source, educate them how to do a pull request, yep. educate them to the fact that if you're playing with a method in the framework, I remember, oh gosh, like five years ago, had a problem with um, invoking a process. And when I was invoking a, a process, the environment variables all went into lowercase. And it just so happened if you were working with a different thing like Ant in the Java world, it was expecting them to be case preserved. Wow. And so um, all the environment variables are now lowercase. And I was like, How, what's going wrong? So in those days, what mm-hmm. you did was you fired up Reflector and you went and you looked into mm-hmm. the framework and you figured out what the problem was. And you're like, oh, dude, mm-hmm. they're using, I don't know what I was, like a dictionary or something like that rather yeah. than what they should be using. And um, and it, it turned all the keys into lowercase. Huh. Um, and because 
uh, all of our code didn't really care about case. You know, it ne it ne they never saw the problem. I was like, hey, there's a problem here. Right. And so I could send them a, a pull, you know, I could send them a request and say, I raised a bug in Connect, you know, which is what mm. we used to do, kind of mm -hmm. thing. We still do, kind of. We raised the bug in Connect, told them what the problem was, and told them the exact couple of lines I thought was the problem. Mm. And then, you know, I think they did that in 2005, and I think it got fixed in like Framework 4 or 5 or something like that. <laughs> wow. You know, because the team had to pick it up and put it in, and it had to go in and roll it out. Nowadays, I could send a pull request, and that would be in that afternoon. Right. And, and so, anyway, but yeah, so we provide a core set of services. I think the .NET Foundation also provides a center of gravity yeah. for projects that, if you're coming from the outside of outside of Microsoft, mm -hmm. kind of seeing what you know, like literally center of gravity around yeah. bringing more community, bringing that you know, kind of. Um, the guidance that we bring to projects is, is one thing, but the visibility is also another. Yeah, right. Okay. So that, mm. you know, like literally if you like, well, what is, what's .NET doing? Wow. Wait, there's a lot, like an ecosystem here, you yeah. know? And it, so it kind of provides that center of gravity. Yeah, it provides the well. gravity. Yeah. And then for the projects that we do have, we, we make sure like they have access to IP and legal services and right. stuff like that. That you know, when as you get to become a a, a big boy project, you kind of you know you need to worry about IP sometimes. Right. And we need to worry about legal stuff and trademarks and blah blah blah. A lot of services. And that yeah, we and then we have a bunch of like technical services. So GitHub provide um you know the, the central forge or Coplex provide the forge services. So right. Source control, work item tracking, mm -hmm. things. And, like and there's a certain amount of like you know you can't start a GitHub project without declaring a license. Yes. You know, no. They, yeah. One of the things we try and do is help people know you really do need a license because yes. it's not actually open source if you started a project without, without a license. Without a license. And, and really we want, you know, I'm, I'm working on humanitarian toolbox. Yes. And so it's also the contributor licensing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so like it's important that each contributor agrees to a license for what their contributions mean yeah. as well as the project license as a whole. And we help projects manage that whole process too. Yeah. So as you're pulling things into the .NET Foundation, you're sort of cleaning this up like well we make sure it's all we, we we don't clean it up we would talk to the project so like with um you know i work quite a lot with uh bill wagner on you know he's on the humanitarian toolbox project but he's yeah. also on the dotnet foundation advisory council mm -hmm. and bill's actually been really helpful um we've been talking to uh the prison project so that the, right. the brian's brian noise mm -hmm. and yeah. brian Lunas yes. have been yeah, yeah. working on taking prism and actually building that out as a proper open source project now yeah we talked to and, them and um bill has been um really helpful because he knows a lot about running communities because yes. he's had the humanitarian toolbox stuff. We assign people a mentor as they come into the foundation to try and help them, you know, do stuff and give them advice and look at how they're doing the readme, sit in some of their community reviews. And that's one of the areas where Bill's been really helpful and said, hey, why didn't you... Anyway, we need to enable contribution license agreements, so let's get those enabled and then work with me to actually get those. Yeah, think through those things. Well, there, there are a bunch of other technical services you need as well, like... Um, you talk about contribution license agreements. Yep. Um, they're important as you get to become a bigger project to make sure the contributions coming in, you know, are f you, you you can have a traceable IP. So yes. that, you know, they can and if somebody is is wanting to embed your open source library in a commercial application, it makes that easier. Mm -hmm. Therefore you're likely to get more people using it, therefore you're likely to get more people contributing to it. So right. that's why well, I good. think you need to make it clear to contributors what could happen to their code. Exactly. And right? be honest. Yeah, yeah. You're just trying not to well, people don't like betrayed expectations. Exactly. So that's not what I thought I was contributing to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you've yeah. got to be very clear as to, yeah. as to where that comes from. But to make sure that that's done, um, you want to you want as painless a process as possible to yes. make sure you don't lose. As an open source project, 
You want ki- fingers on keyboards yeah. type, giving you You code. do not want to hand somebody something and say, you should take this to your lawyer before you start typing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's not a good path to be on. So we give them, we have a CLA automation system that we just set up and then we can roll out across any project in the foundation so that Absolutely. we can just, people can send a pull request in and a little robot comes in and says, hey, uh, brilliant, thanks for your contribution. We haven't had a contribution from you before. Do you mind signing this? Right. And they go in, log in with their GitHub ID. It sends them to a place called DocuSign, which is yeah, you know, yeah. whatever. But they basically go in, it confirm their email address is what they're really doing. Mm-hmm. And they, they're signing a legally binding agreement then that is in the contribution license agreement. And it's done, but... It's done, and then they don't have to do it ever again right. for any other .NET Foundation project. Nice. So, so when we think about the projects that are there, yeah. and, and you said it's not a it's not a good idea to put everything up there. Definitely. When you, when you say everything, are you sort of excluding a class of uh, of projects, like maybe the more Windows centric ones, and you want the open source ones up there, or what's the what is the guidelines there? So there's there's a couple of, there's a couple of types. Um, so we have the what I don't want is for it to be a graveyard of like Microsoft open source projects. Mm. Turns no out, exactly. Well, it turns out Microsoft is really good at open source nowadays and they, yeah. they can actually do open source projects without them having to be in some magic separate company that's not Microsoft. Right. Microsoft have, you know, github.com, whack Microsoft, I know. Yeah. I created that account, you know. <laughs> <laughs> We've really come a long, yeah, long there way, are actually. Hundreds and hundreds of repositories. Our open source it. policy at Microsoft has changed to, to the for the better over the course yeah. of the last just year even um you know i think a lot of i like think a lot of large enterprises are actually thinking really hard about what their open source policies really are like yeah. how how they can enable their own employees to go out and contribute to open source is mm. a big deal actually mm. some companies don't allow it at all Sure. Yeah. So, no, we, we hear about that all the time. But so we've come very really far. Permissive, yeah, like very our pr- rules for yeah. contributing are, yeah, cool. If it's, if it's in your own time, go for it kind of thing. And mm. then if you're trying to do it through work, then you go and get your line manager's authorization right. kind of thing. But I mean, that's kind of why we created contribute. MS OpenTech yeah, originally, yeah. right? But now we've, we, we don't really need MS OpenTech anymore because of What's how MS things have changed. Open MS OpenTech was a kind of a subsidiary. It was a separate of Microsoft. And you would to go contribute to open source, you would kind of go they would borrow an employee you would actually become an employee technically of ms open tech to go work on open source don't have to do that anymore so basically um if you've ever read the innovators dilemma and if you haven't read the innovators dilemma and you're listening then you should everybody in microsoft should be forced to read it once a year but um if you read that one of the classic things you do when handling with the disruptive technology is to go go incubate it in a separate little company that doesn't isn't encumbered by the rules of the big company. Right. Go and go and incubate it in a separate little company that can just look at that problem and do it how they think it should be done, mm. and then learn from that. And that's kind of what we did with MS OpenTech is we set up our set up this little company that didn't have any of the rules of big bad Microsoft. We gotcha. then figured out how to do open source, and then we then fixed Microsoft to be able to do open source properly, and that's where we're at today, where mm-hmm. we can do open source. And I remember the announcements of them rolling up MS OpenTech. And yeah, just back the, into yeah. The those people came in back in the regular. Yeah, now they're, they work yeah. in DevDiv. They, they're they part work in DevDiv. Yeah. Team. So let's go back. Uh, for yeah, a there's if we some of the services at the foundation. So there's the CLA stuff. Um, and then there's all the stuff, if you're doing an open source project, it's like really annoying as an individual to go get like SSL certificates. Mm. If you don't have a company behind them, like getting one, you know, you have to pay for them, blah, blah, right. blah. Codes, doing authentic code signing. You remember when you're doing, you know, if, you, if you're doing an open source project and then you download it in a browser and then the smart screen stuff starts screaming at you because yep. you don't have it signed. Well, how do you get a certificate? It turns out, again, that can be quite hard and you have to pay for them and things. Right. Um, managing of secrets. Here's one that's, 
there's, we've had one of the projects I um, involved with, you know, in my spare time, um, I think called LibGit2. That's like the Git, uh, a Git library. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a Twitter account associated with, with LibGit2. None of us can remember who created it. None of us can remember what the password is. <laughs> oh, man. Welcome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've all done it. <laughs> and this is, you know, and so managing these secrets and things and making sure that a project is open source is sustainable, you're just handy if you have some of this infrastructure in place. So we help pr- provide some of this infrastructure for our projects. Domains, you know, if you want to go register a domain, again, that's easy mm-hmm. enough. You go to Hover or wherever and buy mm-hmm. one. But, you know, again, you've got to pay for it. And where does that money come from? DNS, making sure your DNS server's all there, set up mm. secure. Um, having some forums infrastructure in place because GitHub doesn't, you know, Coplex has forums, but GitHub doesn't have forums. So what's your project going to do for forums? Right. Well, set up a discourse forum. You know, okay. We do that for people. Access to email, access to, you know, software. We can work with different suppliers to get access to software. We have a swag repository, yes. which is Beth's, like Beth's and, and Submit Casey's your artwork idea. and we'll get it on a t-shirt. You can buy yep. t-shirts through Spreadshirt. So um, I think Scott Hanselman mentioned he was going to submit some artwork. Cool. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, because it's just like, I mean, Beth's, you can't see on the, on the podcast, obviously, obviously, but people he can wants, take... He wants the stack, like, you know, basically, what's core, yeah. framework, you okay. know, that, 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 yeah, that, that, that slide. Sure. He yeah. wants the slide on And people shirt. can like, take the yep, t-shirts that. that you see, because in the team, we always had this, when we were a team inside Microsoft, we had this rich community of people who would build, like, team t-shirts, and then right. we would share the team t-shirts. Turns out the team doesn't all work in Microsoft anymore. Yeah. The team is spread across the world, and so we have to, fi- we have to figure out a way of taking that kind of thing that was quite cool about how the our, our team worked right. and, and make it work virtually mm. so we just have a, a swag repository where we can check in the artwork and then it appears in, in the store and if people can if people want to take the you know a dotnet net shirt they saw at build and then remix it and turn it it's all creative commons cc0 license it's, it's interesting that it's yeah. not just software that's in the in the open source the the dotnet foundation no yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's i mean that there's documentation and things the swag yeah. one's yeah. probably fairly special so github.com slash dot net yeah. yeah, that's the org. Okay, okay. the Dynet Foundation org on GitHub. Yeah, and that's where the swag is. That's where the docs are. The core mm. docs are. That's mm. where .dot net. That's is. where the book of runtime is. Yeah, it explains <laughs> how you know. That's where the spec is for mm. you know C sharp language and the things like that. That's where the CLR is. That's where the and then we also from there post um, when we have a, a a design review for how the language should evolve. Again, they're no good having them in a meeting room in Redmond because the community, you know, the team is part of the community, doesn't live in Microsoft anymore. So we have to make these open. And so mm. they do the, the language reviews and they do the API design reviews on Google Hangouts and then post the videos on YouTube and, and you know, all these sorts of things. And we also have, we, we provide some help around events and Mm-hmm. Um, there's a really boring term in, called fiscal authority or whatever <laughs> like that. <laughs> Respect my authority. <laughs> Basically, uh, again, if you're an open source project and you want to like do, you know, an Eventbrite thing, get the money you've done. You know, when you're organizing events, yep. you need a bank account for money to come into so yeah. you can then pay people out. And well, we have a bank account. Right. So we can do that and we can help work with projects and provide them with. So yeah, the bunch of services. So it, it just helps them do open source properly. Where we don't want projects to come in, back to your question, uh, Carl, um, we don't want it to be a dumping ground for like ra- like random SDKs for bits of Microsoft stuff. The SDK is great that that's open source for Microsoft thing, and it mm-hmm. is good because you know it, it. But it's all it is all the value of that SDK is purely for a service that we monetize. So right. There's no point in that being in the foundation because to be honest. The community aren't really going to contribute much to that. You know, it's not community owned. It's owned by the product group producing their SDK who right. just happened to deliver their thing open source. Yes. 
even, and even though it's implemented in, say, C-sharp as well, it's probably, you know, Objective-C or Swift or whatever in Java, um, that shouldn't be in the .NET Foundation because it's just open source from Microsoft sure. and .NET. It should be community-owned things should be in the yeah. .NET So only right. when you see a cross-contribution thing that it gets... Yeah, and then, but then there's, on the other side, if you look at something like F-sharp, once a project gets big enough and has a vibrant enough community, I'm very cool with that being its own... If that wants to have its own organization around it because it's now big enough and can scale to enough so the f sharp guys have the f sharp foundation right which mm -hmm. is a 503c uh, a c3 a charity right um that, that they're all grouping around and that's great that's mm. success that's, that's really interesting diversity so i i, I kind of like this idea that you would have you start small you get to a certain size where now the foundation makes sense for you yeah you move into the foundation do you actually grow out of it at some point i and think move yeah. out again yeah you could definitely that path but you could have probably mm -hmm. yeah. timing wise and i think i mean we're very, we think of the f sharp as kind of like a sister foundation as sure. well now and you know we're probably but, going to try and find ways of of the dotnet foundation still supporting the having a relationship exactly yeah. but yeah. you could see more of these definitely. forming as you get projects to a certain size they can sustain their own community and, and really need their own foundation. They can yeah. go in different directions. If so you're much more an incubator. Yeah. Where F sharp is, they've got a different focus. They've They're focused up. on maturing their language. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. it makes sense that they would be on their own. Yeah. Mm. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? Ah, uh, it must be that happy time again. Yep. It's time for me to announce a new open source license. Oh. The No Naughty Boogs license. <laughs> Gist of it is if you submit code with a Naughty Boog, you have to give yourself a wedgie. Okay. <laughs> Self-wedgie tools. Okay. That's something else. Actually, it's time to give away a D-Experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero and definitely thank DevExpress for supporting .NET Rocks. Awesome, dude. So who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Lance Elworth. Uh, congratulations, Lance. Golf, Golf clap for you, clap sir. for Lance Elworth. <laughs> That's our next mug. Golf clap for you, Golf sir. Golf clap for you, sir. I love that. Yeah, no, That's a good t-shirt, Yeah, actually. we should trademark that. What's the license around? Can we? Well, let's talk. Yeah, <laughs> right. Excellent. And uh, if you don't know what we're doing here, Lance Elworth just got a D-Experience subscription from Developer Express, one of our great sponsors. And you can always go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree mm -hmm. to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Coming, coming up soon. Coming up very soon. Yeah. I'm getting all excited. Next few weeks, we're going to have to do this. Love giving away stuff. Uh, and of course, we ask our guests. I guess we'll start with you, Beth. If you had five thousand dollars to spend on technology today, what would you buy? That's a tough one. Buy technology, huh? Do I have to spend it on technology? What gadget don't you have? <laughs> you know, actually, guys, I'm not really a big gadget girl, but my husband is. Yeah, it's true. He's mm -hmm. huge. You are, but you're a car girl. People don't I'm mean car. I know that. You yeah, like, I'm more of a car. I've had girl. a ride in your car. I actually want a '69 Camaro. 
Do you? Wow. Does, that, does that count? You know, for five I need, grand. Yeah. I'd need 10 grand, though. For yeah. five, you could get a pretty one. nasty rusted out. <laughs> yeah, no I could get chassis. one that I could fix. Let's, yeah, I just, just make sure it runs. Yeah. I, could, I could totally Are do that. Are you into auto mechanics? Do you like fixing cars? I, I, like, I like to actually get a broken car that looks good because I'm yeah. better at the, the mechanics yeah. than the... Better than, at the motor than the body. Than the body yeah. work, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. With you. Totally. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, does that count? That's a great one. Fairly technological for the time. Yeah. 100%. Awesome. Awesome. What about you, Martin? Um, I, I just spent some money before I came out here, actually. I'm, so what, I'm a bit of a nerd on um, the Atlantic Telegraph is a thing that I do a lot of research on. You should probably, you should do, if you haven't done already, a geek out on the physical internet. Yeah. Um, because just knowing how the internet actually really works mm-hmm. is just amazing. And once you actually understand about internet exchanges and things, the IXs, mm. and you start looking into the IX registries and you see... You go, oh, yeah, Microsoft has like a presence in like every single IX, the right. entire world. And, you know, with Google and Facebook. And that's why it feels like when you're talking to your Azure app, that's why it feels like your Azure app has more bandwidth than mm. God, because you don't have to go through the entire internet to get mm. to Azure. You no. can just jump into your local thing. So there's a the, whole conversation there about BGP routing. Like people yeah. just don't know yeah. right. how kind of archaic it yeah. is, right? And yeah. it all started. Trace all, route. <laughs> <laughs> and all this started from, you know, the original was obviously the Atlantic Telegraph was the like kind of the first big submarine uh, cable, right. which is where, where all this technology uh, mm. comes from. So I actually just, before I came out, bought a piece of the original uh, 1858 Atl- Atlantic Telegraph cable. Well, so that should be there when I get home. Yeah, they've been, they've been taking, they've been replacing a lot of those wires. Yeah. Taking them up. And they are artifacts of our, our history. Oh, yeah, they're amazing. So I've got some of that. But no, the thing I would buy for 5K, <laughs> that was like 100 bucks. That doesn't count. The, th- <laughs> the thing I would buy for 5K. So I did. I mentioned I did my degree in physics, so mm-hmm. I would buy. Um, I don't have. I, I, I like doing astronomy, and you know, I used to do it. I did research where you have a proper, you know, a proper sure. observatory where you go in and you have your telescope set up. Yep. But that's a pain because you have to get them all aligned, and then you have to get the side reel mounts working so it tracks the sky properly and things mm-hmm. like that. But now um, you can uh, have telescopes. The Celestron do a new uh, type of telescope system where you sit it down, put it on telegraph, you press a button, and it goes. Takes a picture and then the computer figures out where it's looking at and it goes zip. Takes oh, another picture wow. and it goes zip, zip, zip. You know, the stepper motors move around and it figures out exactly where it's pointing. Right. And it goes, okay, what would you like to look at, sir? And you go, I'd look to look like look the crab itself. nebula. And it goes zip, and then put it on the crab nebula. And go, okay, that's easy. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, normally with astronomy, you have to spend ages and you're freezing and you're in the right. middle of the night right. and you're looking out and you get it all lined up and you find you finally find it. You don't have to do that anymore. Just wow. press the button. And there's some folks cool. who think that. You know, calculating an azimuth is part of the fun. Yeah. <laughs> some people just want to see some cool stuff. Yeah. Right? Like, it's it's kind of amazing to think where, you know, where people have gone at. Yeah, last week, wasn't kids. Mars, Jupiter, and, and yeah, they're Venus all, lined all up. was aligned up, right? It was, it was last week. I, and yeah. I had my, I took, that, that you can see with your binoculars yeah. as well. Yeah, So I got my kids, like my kids, like... Ivan must do something. I'm the, the nerdiest guy. I'm so wait, you know, shake them up, wake them mm-hmm. up at three o'clock yeah. in the morning. That's cool. Kids, look, you can see, you know, I did and that. You get, even with a, even with binoculars, you can you can see Venus and see the crescent shape. It's the actual planet, you know, not yeah. just a bright light. I was thinking, what was it, 2005, when we had that incredible meteor shower here, the Leonids, or yeah, the, the Leonids. I think it was Leonids. Uh-huh. Yeah, in one year there was, yeah. from where we were on the east coast, anyway, you could see. Uh, you know, one meteor every ten seconds yeah. or something. It yeah. was just unbelievable. Yeah, and I, I remember uh, I did wake up my daughter. Yeah, and brought her outside and 
you got to see this. We had that. So I live quite far north, Northern Ireland, where I live, mm. you know, further north than parts of Alaska. Mm. And so we reasonably often would get the Northern Lights visible mm. from where we are. So again, that's another, when the Northern Lights were particularly visible one time, I woke up with yeah. kids and was like, come and have a look at this. During Solar Max, when the, yeah, the, yeah, the, now it comes and it's, it's quite busy at the minute. My, interestingly, my wife, she, different people have different night vision. And so me and the kids are outside going, Whoa, that's amazing! Mm, and my right. wife comes out. She's like, "What?" You know, she couldn't <laughs> see it because her she her eyes didn't respond to the deep green. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. If you got a little bit of green blindness, you won't see it. Yeah. It's very green. So, I don't mean to yeah. To, anyway, to subvert your five K on in a telescope, but right, okay. If you go to domeobservatory.com, oh, hello, they actually sell home scale domes oh. for five grand. You can get a six foot dome. Really? Wow. Like if you actually want to have the shelter. You know, which helps with the light, the light bleed and so forth. I mean, if you want to spend 50 grand, they'll sell you that too. But <laughs> I just bought a field so I could actually put this in the You field. could put, yeah, lay a concrete, oh. you need a little concrete pad, little dome. Put so how a little do we fix this drawer to show in the Camaro? Yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> deal, deal. I think we've totally derailed him now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, and oh, the software automation for the dome pointing, you can tie it into the, to the telescope. So the dome rotates with your, with your, your telescope. I'm telling you, dude. All right. Is that anyway. cooler than Visual Studio Code? <laughs> a little bit. Not to me. <laughs> but, but you can get a lot of Visual Studio Code for 5K. You know what yeah. I mean? So, so no people kidding. that don't know is Visual Studio Code is um, the the free um, uh, IDE. Well, it's not really an IDE. It's free uh, development. It's an editor. An editor that we have that's uh, fully cross-platform, you know, mm. so it runs on Linux, runs on the Mac, runs on Windows. I wonder free. if the people that have the most trouble with the .NET Foundation are your regular .NET developers, yep. you know, who are used to and very comfortable with, I get my stuff from Microsoft, mm, yeah. right? And maybe I have a couple other vendors like like Telerik and DevExpress and Component One and Infogestics. Like, I talk to an awful lot of the CTO types. It's like, my devs want two things, their MSDN to subscription and their tool set. Yeah. And that's all they use. And the great thing is, is they can still do that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's not going away. You know, but like, that's the thing. Present- the .NET team, even though we're open source and we're out in the open, we're doing all this in the open. We're actually going to have releases, yeah. distros, you can think of it that way, yeah, you know, you where they'll, they'll be product. like, here you go, this is the one that's stamped, blessed, and all tested together. Mm. You know, it's that. So if you want to ignore all, all the open source and love that we're, peace, love, happiness that we're doing right now, <laughs> you can. You can. You can continue to still use uh, a solid set of product line, products and product lines from Microsoft. We're not changing that. Mm. Um, it's just the way we're building those things right. is changed. Mm. It's worth explaining quality how it works hasn't it as well because people – you talk about talking into CTOs and CIOs. That's one of the areas where they do get confused with because you talk about all this open source goodness and, hey, cross-platform. Hey, we've just announced as well today – you know, a partnership with Red Hat and, right. and, and, which you know, awesome. which, so the Red Hat actually have supported .NET workloads in running in Red Hat Enterprise Linux and in nice. the cloud and things. Wow. And that just got announced this morning. So we have all that, but that doesn't mean that the version of, of Visual Studio you get, even though it contains a bunch of stuff that's open source, we're, we're giving it under the Microsoft EULA, the, the right. Microsoft license terms you've already accepted it as. It's, it's not, you've not got to suddenly now go fill out a big open source approval process in your right. company. Right. You're buying the product from Microsoft. Yeah. You're buying support from Microsoft right. for that product. And that, and Visual Studio is still all about productivity. Yep. Yep. It's still all about .NET. It's more than just yep. .NET yep. now. Like it's like still our, you know, yeah, premier, you know, that is the ID. Studio is not the foundation. Right? I think people 
people get a little going worried okay. when they look at the .NET right. Core and, and ASP.NET and MVC and go, now I have to use open source? Like, no, you guys build a retail version of the product from yeah. that source code. Absolutely. The Where I think the line gets a little more interesting is I look at like Laurent Bugnon's yeah. MVVM Lite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, that is an which open is source only project. It's in the foundation, <laughs> yeah. which mm-hmm. is why I bring it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so Great I think product. folks who are sort of, yeah, view, you know, the, here's one of the guys been on the show before and I consider him a friend, like yeah. a nice guy. He's awesome. But he brought MVVM to us. Yeah. You know, this was to us like, you want to learn MVVM? Here's how you do this. Yeah. Now it's in the foundation. So do I feel better about it as a Microsoft stack guy thinking I want to use this MVVM light? You know, what does the foundation do to that project from my perspective? One of the interesting things I've found is that... Support. Yeah, really. support. We provide support and help the sustainability of mm-hmm. it. You should feel more confident, That's actually. what I'm thinking. Yeah. Is that the message here is, now that it's in the foundation, don't worry about it going away. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. kind of safe. Well, well, that's the thing. We like, you know, like all of the mentorships that we provide, you know, around like, you know, just governance around yeah, the project. You don't project. need to give Lauren it's any like, mentorship. You no, know, really. Yeah. You know, Lauren I mean, yeah. it's, but it's, but it's sort of like, okay, so Lauren wants to retire. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But because we have now a community and an ecosystem around this project too, someone else could just right. take over the reins. I and, trust you know, Lauren, I think that, but not everybody knows him as well as exactly. I do. The fact that it's in the foundation says you don't have to trust that individual yeah. as much as you know that the foundation is here to make sure that project mm-hmm. continues. Well, yeah. the foundation like also that. needs to make sure that you can find if you're in Visual Studio and you're looking for an open, you know, a library to go solve a problem. Yeah, right. mm-hmm. uh, like but this image, is a great place to look. Image processing. Well, but we need to make sure that they can find the open source that they're after, regardless mm-hmm. of if it's in the foundation or not. Yes. This back to my diversity thing. Yep. We, yeah. So that's why we need to make sure things like NuGet and things are very strong and so that people can go get the library they want to solve and people in the .NET ecosystem learn how to do open source, regardless of it having to be in the foundation. Right. Uh, for Linux, mm. let's talk about the, the stuff that's there for Linux. It's mostly the server-side things, right? ASP.NET. Is that's there... the main the main workloads we see people wanting to run on Linux yeah. um, are deploying ASP.NET applications, the DNX stuff, right. um, microservices into Linux. Containers. Or, yeah, Linux yeah. containers, basically. So I was talking to some, you know, like some banks, and a common thing they want to do is they've got algorithms written in C-sharp, written in, you know, some F-sharp stuff as well. They've got Excel spreadsheets mm. with a thing around them. Mm. They've got Java stuff. They've got some C code written in Solaris, and they just mm. want a big server farm mm-hmm. that they can take these and run them as calculation farms. And so, yeah, you can now have .NET running on that in your Linux farm inside a Docker container. So they've got yeah. an operations team that wants to run a set of Linux servers. Exactly. Great. No problem. And mm. you know, make sure the performance there, make sure the end-to-end support there as well. Mm. So if you, this is why the deal we announced with Red Hat this morning was so important, because if you want to pick up the phone to have a problem with your container running in Red Hat Linux, but it's an ASP network load, you don't want to get stuck in one of those bouncing yeah, around you should call microsoft about that yeah exactly so right. we have microsoft support people co-located with red hat support people. wow and, and right. this gets back to my original uh comment here which is i find myself just having to explain the availability of uh, this stuff yeah. to people who just can't conceive that microsoft would be you know supporting linux right yeah. i mean you basically have slashed the cost of server farms for everybody yeah. with Azure and Docker and ASP.NET. I mean, 
Yeah. You know, the, the price of, of operation just went way down for so many people. That is the problem, is getting people to even think about it. So, I mean, that's kind of what valley, I was saying in the so. beginning. You know, it's like, yeah, .NET equals Windows. That's equaled Windows. Yeah, it's, it's not the true not anymore. True. You know, yeah. I mean, and it's not just about ASP.NET. It's about, you know, writing just EXEs. It's like services mm -hmm. that are headless, you know, kind of services too right now. So that's kind of where we're focusing right now. Um, you know, I yeah, I, it's just, it's interesting when I talk to, you know, .NET developers today that have been building on the stack for, yeah. you know, Ever, yeah. you know, and they just kind of look like, what are you doing? Why? Yeah, why can't I build I'm like, my hey, if you're happy with Windows mm -hmm. servers, by all means, this is not, you know, that doesn't change your world. What this does is just opens up opportunities, right? And it opens up opportunities for people that would never look at .NET because we can't even be part of the conversation because they are a Linux shop. Yeah, it's easy to see the economics and the incentives for Microsoft for doing this. You, you have shifted as a company from, you know, selling copies of Windows for metal machines to Azure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if Azure is really where the future of Microsoft is, then you need to enable everybody to come to the party. And so it's, it's very understandable, you know, from when you, when you think about the incentives that Microsoft has from a business point of view, it makes perfect sense. It's just amazing to me how people are stuck with that mentality of, you, you know, know if you haven't caught mentality. on to the cloud, then you couldn't understand why Microsoft would do that. Absolutely. And I should be clear, like on the .NET team itself, we actually don't care where you deploy. Yeah. Um, you know, we really just want you to be able to write, you know, C Sharp wherever you want, mm -hmm. right? And write VB.NET wherever you want. Mm -hmm. You know, write F Sharp wherever you want. Like this is this sort of like on the team, we take, we look at it like, hey, you know, have fun deploying that. Wherever yeah. you want. Our goal is to make sure that it works wherever. Yeah, we want .NET to be the most yeah. productive development environment there is. Yeah, right. we want people to fall yeah. in love with .NET, the reasons why we fell in love with yeah. .NET, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. back 15 years ago, yeah. right? And this tooling makes us productive, but there's also the ecosystem around .NET yeah. that makes .NET productive. Mm -hmm. And that's why we need to make sure um, the more people we have deploying .NET workloads in different places the more libraries get built for .NET. Yep. And then so the more people are productive with .NET and then so the, the virtuous cycle continues. I think Java actually has one up on there, on yeah, us for that, right for sure. Because, you know, they it, it started out like open ecosystem. Like they've had a head start for yeah. a very long time. You know, I think there's a cultural difference between developers on those stacks. You know, like, dot, like you were mentioning before, um, Richard, like that, you know, .NET developers expect, you know, a certain level of quality because this comes from Microsoft. Right. This framework is, you know, mm. is written by computer scientists at Microsoft. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it's awesome and I'm going to use it. And if I have a bug, I'm going to tell you to go fix it. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and that was the expectation fixed. for so many years. Right. And I think on the other end of the spectrum, I, I feel like you probably can talk yeah. to Java a little bit better, but I feel like, you know, that community just said, well, I'm going to go fix it. And actually, mm -hmm. I'm going to write another library that does this and that and thing. And so yeah. the core product didn't actually have to be like completely awesome because you had all of these other community supported, you know, there was um, a price to libraries that, too. that were yeah. awesome. I, you know? I remember in the, the height of EJB, I mean, just yeah. figuring out what your stack was going to be for yep. a given project. Right? Right. You know, are you, are you going down the Tomcat line? Are you yeah. going down the JBoss line? Like there was all these. These tribes. Yeah, there's, there's uh, almost too many. When yeah, it to was confusing. Mm -hmm. You know, in a lot got, of that's ways, one of the things we've got to figure out how, how we go forward because we're having more diversity now. But mm -hmm. it's one of the things I worry about is that people chaos. will think we don't want chaos. Well, no, but also <laughs> that people will think 
um, the IOC container to you, you know, pattern to use is the one that's in the foundation, or right. the, you know, mm. I actually don't want that to happen, right. which isn't because it should be the best one that's suitable for your task. You don't want to so, be opinionated, exactly. But, um, but yeah. you don't want a hundred of them either. Yeah, exactly. You so want it, more than one. Yeah, but you don't want a hundred. And one of the things we need to do as well is, you know, so we have .NET Core and .NET Core is the the cross-platform open.net. That's not, mm. you know, there's desktop framework, which mm. we, you can go see the source to for your reference source. Mm-hmm. But then you have .NET Core, which is the open source, you know, heart of the modern future .NET. Yeah. And um, one of the things that we've got to start doing, uh, probably as this, this podcast gets broadcast, is actually reaching out with the community a lot more and trying to help all the different library, ven- you know, library producers, maintainers, and also vendors actually go get their .NET and their open source libraries all uh, working against .NET Core and, and porting mm, to .NET right. Core and being able to do that. That's the next. We need to get the ecosystem moved over so that .NET Core can be there so that then you can take advantage of that in your Linux workload or on the Mac Yeah, the idea is like when we release you know, the first version of .NET Core, then we want to have a good set of libraries that people rely on now right. against yeah. framework for Core as well. Yeah. Plus, you know, it, basically, porting to core is important. Yeah, because when you go you know? build your Linux app, it's no good yeah. if you can't now talk to Redis or talk right. to whatever. You know, mm-hmm. you need all these other ancillary libraries or JSON.NET, or you can't run your unit tests. You right. know, all those things have to be there before you can build your line of business. And where do, where does PCL Portable Class Libraries come into? Uh, the picture here. Yeah, so there's um, the PCL libraries is a similar mechanism, mm-hmm. um, and so you can build. Uh, there's a um, and you so you have a project.json file in a, in the new world, mm-hmm. um, and in that project.json file, you can declare a library as um, being able to create a PCL version of it and create a .NET Core version of it, and so you can it targets take frameworks. Yeah, target framework frameworks. Targeting. So that's really it's important. Like the tokens there. Which that's really important. What you just said. Yeah. those are two different things. .NET Core and PCL are two different things. Yeah, even within PCL, yeah, you could target different versions like Windows Phone eight one or you know yeah. Silverlight or whatever. And so you need to be able to you need to be able to target both. But both in sides. the project, you know, we've got some documentation that will come up by the time this show is produced. If you go to aka.ms port to core, so port number two core, C O R E, then that'll send you to the documentation. I'll go create that now while we're talking. <laughs> ah, great. By the way, yes. So I better not go look it up right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, we actually the had the hackathon, yeah, yeah. the MVP Summit hackathon on Thursday. So by the time this podcast, we had a hackathon. Yeah. Um, so there should actually be some really good docs by the time this airs nice. there. Nice. Great. Yeah. Well, so I'm running everything. the table, mm-hmm. so it should be fun. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, that, that should be really interesting. I'm wondering. I'm looking at the list of projects right now, and a lot of these projects were like the day one .NET Foundation projects, yep. right? And there's been a slow increase. Are, are we almost done? Do you see a big burst coming as .NET Core ships? Like, yeah. How many more things need to come to the foundation for the foundation to really realize its vision? So we've got the core of .NET there, and now we need to um, – where we're focusing in on is bringing in more projects that need need to have – help bringing the community around them right. so um there are they say about you know a couple of dozen projects in the pipeline right. uh, we're talking to and seeing as we bring them into the, the foundation um but and are those mostly external projects like there's, there's a mix there's, there's a certain number of microsoft projects a certain yeah. number of third party yeah and there's a mix and that's that's how it should be yeah a healthy mix one of the things where the foundation works really well is if we're taking um if we're taking a microsoft project 
but what was a Microsoft developed project and maybe was going to, you know, just sit there and not get much love anymore. Mm -hmm. But there's a passionate community who want to, like, set it free. Right. Then one of the things that we've been doing lately a lot of is talking to the community members and going, okay, let's go help you. I will go and find the person in Microsoft who owns that code. Right. And we will get them to donate it to us so you can now be the maintainer of it so if a, can a project start as a windows only project and then go into the foundation and people will convert it to core and Completely. update it from there worldwide yeah. telescopes yeah. are great exa- i mean uh, it they doesn't have, have to be to in core it. it can be a desktop yeah, frame a desktop all right frame. well let's okay. drop a couple of bombs then like yeah. the ones that we kept in emails about like visual basic six yeah it's not done yet <laughs> I, I totally agree it's not .NET, and, and I also have a pretty good sense of the complexity of the yeah. state of licensing yeah. around it. Like, yeah. there's lots of things. Interestingly, it's not, the licensing's not the problem, no. mostly. It's the build systems. Yeah. The build system. I've heard this a, a few times. Wow. So we have to have, um, to be able to have a sustainable open source project, You people need to be able to build it on their desktop and be able to test it. And, right. be able to, and you actually need to be able to have that environment, and that needs to be easy. So most of the work we do when we're taking a project and making it open source, a Microsoft project. Taking it out source, of Microsoft, yeah. Is making the build system sane. Right. Mm. And making, and Getting like, it out of the internal Microsoft plumbing yeah, of exactly. how they build software. Can you debug it? Yeah. Can, Can you, you build it? Yes. Can, yeah. Will it right. actually compile? The amazing, you'd compile. be horrified. I mean, Microsoft is doing a lot of work right now modernizing their internal engineering systems mm-hmm. to make them more like what we have customers But use. you're talking about software that's 20 years old. Yep. Things yeah. were different. I mean, I'm yeah. not sure. I think there's like one, I think it's one or two machines that can build VB6 in the yeah. company right now. Right. So, yeah. you know, it's not it's not an easy thing to do. So. Yeah. But there are other ones that are that we should do. And so they'll be coming out hopefully yeah. by the time this is Pretty this cool. Is released. Microsoft Bob? <laughs> yeah, not .NET. Yeah, <laughs> I noticed you are writing an inversion of control framework. Can I help you? Clippy .NET. Now, now you're getting into evil, 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 things. evil. <laughs> well, wow, the hours just flown by. This is really fun. You know, I, I I sense a lot of over talking, like talking over each other, but that's okay because that's what happens when you get four friends in a room. Yeah, you just want to all talk at the same time. It's great. So thank you, Beth. Thank you, Martin. Thanks, guys. Awesome. awesome. Very awesome. And we'll talk to you, dear listener, next time on .NET. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.